0: Cognitive therapy contains material which may be distressing to some listeners, such as domestic violence, animal cruelty, and mental health issues. A podcast one production. A few years ago, David woke up with blurry vision. He couldn't walk straight, his head hurt. He ended up in hospital. It turned out he had internal bleeding on his brain and had severe problems with his motor functions. He was bedridden for months and has spent more than a year in rehab. He says it was tough, but the one thing that made it easier for him was the support of his best mate, Bridget the Beagle. Hey Vicky, hey David, great to meet you. My producer Dave and I sat down with him and his wife Vicky and they told us all about it. I saw some pictures of her up on the bed that you'd sent to me and it made me think about how important she must have been to your recovery. Do you feel like she helped to heal you? Yeah. You're How right. so? Um, just something to look forward to to come home. You know what I mean? They understand that there's something wrong. Yeah, you because know, I wasn't the same person I was before the uh, the stroke. Yeah. Does it? Was it as if she knew? Oh yeah. 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 She definitely had that sixth sense, and because David couldn't walk at that stage and had to learn to walk again, um, that was going to be the challenge was, right, you've got to learn to walk because you've got to learn to walk her again, and so that was really important. So even though, you know, there was the times and days of where he was hung up in a harness from the ceiling and learning how to walk, um, that was really important. Then just even through three months of rehab, daily we would just drive in from Sunbury and Bridget was always in the car with us and so I would walk her while Dave was doing his rehab but then at lunchtime um, she'd be in the car and sit in the park with us and we'd have lunch and then David would go back and do his afternoon session so there was always that incentive to be able to get up and walk with her. David still has some issues with his vision and movement. He says he'll probably never be the same as he was before. But he survived. Bridget, on the other hand, wasn't so lucky.
1: What was life like after you passed? Uh,
0: Pretty quiet. It wasn't fair. She's having dead, for Christ. Uh, you know, just... Uh, all she'd done for us. And then she, you know, had cancer. Yeah. When Bridget died, David and Vicky lost a piece of themselves. But when they look back on it all, they know how much Bridget did for them. And while they can't repay the favour now that she's gone, they're forever grateful for having Bridget in their lives. My name's Laura V, and welcome to Dognitive Therapy, a series that explores how human behaviour shapes dog's behaviour. Today's episode, gratitude. The benefits of gratitude are far ranging, improving our well-being in so many ways. I caught up with Karen Rhodes, founder of the Dogs Refuge Home in Perth, who shared her stories of how dogs faced with adversity can experience gratitude and can teach us how to be more grateful human beings too.
1: Karen, tell us how you founded Dogs Refuge Home. Okay, so um, I came across the dog's home in 2006. Um, I had two dogs and sadly one of them passed away and I was looking for a a dog to replace, well, you can never replace a dog, (laughs) but to sort of fill the gap and um, I went down to the dog's home and just completely fell in love with a, he's actually, it was a pit bull and he'd been there nearly two years and um, he was the softest, most gentle dog ever but obviously people were put off because they thought he was a pit bull and I ended up adopting him and he just became the man of my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I just decided that I needed to give back to this amazing organisation because unfortunately lots of um, rescue groups do put pit bulls to sleep because they're a restricted bleed and I was so grateful that the dog's home kept my special little man um, who ended up, can I say, bomb-proof with dogs, kids, cats, everything. He was a a nanny to most of my friends' kids that came over. So, um, you know, complete great ambassador for his brand um, or his breed, I should say. And, um, yeah, decided to help them with some fundraising. We virtually get no support from the government, so realised how important and critical fundraising was. So, I got involved in the fundraising side of things and then ended up on the board and then ended up as president. And my life's never been the same since. This dog, I believe his name was Homer, was such an important dog to you that you ended
0: up volunteering all your spare time to help improve the lives of dogs like Homer. Yeah. What was it about him?
1: He was just so grateful to be given that second chance. He absolutely knew when he got to my place that that was it. Um, He actually rarely left the home. He had agoraphobia. Um, I could hardly get him out at all. And I think it's because he'd been probably dumped so many times before. It was almost like he was scared of it happening again. And um, yeah, he just stayed at home. He was on the couch with me. He slept in bed with me. He was just divine. And um, I just felt so sorry for him because I know people were sort of wary of his breed and he couldn't be more opposite to how they described. They actually do say that pit bulls by nature are very protective and very loyal. And unfortunately, some horrible people take advantage of that and make them do bad things. But their nature is actually very, very gentle. And that's exactly how I found him. He was, I describe him as my angel and he absolutely was. What is it about dogs that make us smile, do you think? Um, I think it's that unconditional love Um, down there at the dog's home we've got between 100 and 150 at any one time and you just go up to the kennel and you imagine they'd be all depressed and their tail starts wagging and their whole body gets going and it just makes you smile and you just want to go in and take them out for a walk and give them a cuddle and hopefully find them the best home ever they're just incredible creatures um yeah i just i can't speak highly enough of the work we do at the dog's home but any dog that deserves a second chance um you know we really really hope that more people can do that rather than going out to a pet shop and you know god knows how that dog was bred in the first place you know unscrupulous backyard breeders or puppy farms and um when i look at the dogs at the dogs home they've ended up there through no fault of their own it's never ever the dog's fault um and they're just desperate for that second chance and like i say incredibly grateful when they're given it even
0: as i'm asking you that question when you're just talking about dogs you've got the biggest smile on your <laughs> yeah, face it's no. amazing to see that dogs can bring out the best in us and can make us grateful just as they are
1: grateful for us yeah, absolutely. I um, yeah. Whenever we're down there, it's funny when the people first come down to the dogs' refuge. There's a few people who are quite. Um, confronted because they see lots of dogs in kennels and they find it, you know, sad. Um, and then when they realise we have got a pro life policy, so the dogs are safe until we find them a loving home, and when they see the love that they get from the staff and from the volunteers, um, it is actually a really, really happy place. And unfortunately, most of the dogs we've got, it's the best time they've ever had at the dog's home. They're, they're fed twice a day, they're walked, they're given lots of love. Well, they've all got coats, and we've got underground heating and heat lamps in winter, and we've got a sprinkler system in summer. And I look at how some dogs are left in a backyard on their own with very little interaction and no shade and sometimes hit and sometimes not fed. And and I think, you know, our dogs at the dog's home actually have a better life than they've had before. And it's only going to get better because eventually they're going to get adopted and they're going to be sat on the couch watching TV the next night, hopefully. Are you really selective with the people that are fortunate enough to adopt these dogs? Yes, we're very particular and we do get (laughs) criticised from that from time to time but you know, these dogs have been let down once and we need to make sure the next time they get a home, it's their forever home. So we don't want them, you know, to be coming back or it wasn't quite the right match for us. So we do ask a lot of questions and again, you know, I've heard people say it's easier to adopt a child than it (laughs) is to adopt a dog from the dog's home. Um, But you know, we ask questions about their lifestyle, how high their fences are, how often the dog will be on its own each day, how much exercise they're going to be able to give it, Um, you know, all those questions so that we can match the ideal dog with the ideal owner. So, you know, if someone comes in and they really want a couch potato who's, you know, going to be happy with 20 minutes exercise a day and then stay at home and sit on the couch with them, then that Kelpie that they're looking for (laughs) isn't the dog for them. And we need to sort of, you know, explain that to them. And we have some people who come in and They fill the questionnaire in and the dog's basically going to be outside on its own all day. They'll come home, you know, they'll take it for a 20-minute walk and then it'll never be allowed in the house. And we sort of have to say, you know, the dog's actually better off here because Mm -hmm. it gets so much more interaction. We really need dogs to be part of people's family. I think the reason a lot of them are given up is because they're not considered part of the family. You know, there's no way you'd give up on a child. So we want people to take a dog on board and have that dog as part of their family. And we know that if we find that person, then the dog's not going to be ending up back at the dog's home. I recently read that
0: the definition of gratitude is the quality of being thankful and having the appreciation for kindness. Mm. Do you think that's the definition of a dog?
1: Yes, times 10. They're just, you know, they're grateful for um, everything really from, you know, not just the simple, you know, they get fed and they get um, exercise, but it's just the love and the attention and just a simple pat that just makes them um, you can just see it in their eyes. Every single dog at the home, you know, you go past their kennel and whether they're trying to get your attention, they're barking because they're trying to get your attention or they're trying to push themselves through the wire because they need a cuddle. You can almost see their personalities and um, you just know how much that gratitude is either going to be shown because you're going to have two paws on your shoulder and a lot you know, a slobbery wet kiss every um, every day or you just going to have someone who will basically just look into your eyes and dote on you. And um, I have to say with Homer that we had this special bond. We just sat on the couch and looked into each other's eyes and he was basically saying, thank you for rescuing me and I was saying, thank you for rescuing me right back because he was a superstar.
0: How do you think we can learn to be more grateful from our dogs?
1: Um, I think these days sort of we're a little bit of a disposable society. You know, everyone's sort of looking for the next best thing all the time. You know, what, what can I do? What job can I do to get more money, to achieve more things and to buy more things? Um, dogs are just literally live in the today. They live in the right now. So if they're down at the beach, they're happy. If they're getting a kiss and a cuddle, they're happy. They're not looking for what's next. They're just really grateful um, for every single moment. And I think we need to do more of that. You know, the happiest I am is when I'm at home with my dogs or I'm at the refuge with all of those dogs, you know, rather than thinking—I mean, my—I have to say, my income has probably gone down to a third of what it was um, before I got involved in the dogs' home because I don't have mm-hmm. time to do um, to do my own consultancy because I'm down there. My happiness is times ten. So, mm-hmm. you know, money really at the end of the day is irrelevant. It's just—it's the happiness factor. It's just for me, is through the roof, and knowing that. I'm giving back to an organisation that has given me so much. Sadly, Homer passed away um, a year ago, and I've got two other dogs now from the dogs' home, and I just I'm so grateful for them. Um, and yeah, and so it will continue. Do you think people who are stressed or anxious
0: should just stop and maybe come down to the dogs' refuge home, or or go somewhere and sit in a park and just be just like dogs are?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I hear a lot about, you know, mental health and the reason people think about, you know, ending their lives is they don't feel wanted, they don't feel needed. My God, there are a lot of dogs at the dog's home who need you. I can tell you that right now, that, you know, everyone should just enjoy the moment and think about the people in need. If you don't feel like you're needed, then go to a rescue. Like I say, come down to the dog's home. We are just always desperate for volunteers, even if it's just sitting in the kennels with the dogs or making ice treats to, you know, give them some enrichment. There is so much need. No one should ever feel that they're not needed in this world, I don't think. Tell us about the Seniors for Seniors program. So it was a program we started a number of years ago now. And we had, um, first of all, we had a number of senior dogs that were being dumped. That's another really sad story. So, you know, dogs are with people up until nine and 10 years of age. And then all the aches and pains start and they decide to dump the dog and go and get a puppy, which is just Beyond me, but unfortunately, we're getting more and more dogs like that. And so we looked at how we could find them homes. Um, And we also had a number of senior people who were coming in saying, I want a dog, but I certainly don't want a puppy because I don't know how many years I've got left. And, you know, a puppy potentially could live till 15. They didn't have the energy levels to cope with training a puppy. And we thought, oh, there's an opportunity here to match seniors and seniors. Um, And the good thing with a senior dog, their personality is developed. So, you know, they also don't need a lot of exercise. we know exactly what their temperament is like and um, and so we went out and started promoting that and it really did work so well because it was that nice balance of, you know, sort of really the lifestyle for a senior dog and a senior person fits quite well and a lot of the time our senior dogs, um, you know, they were surrendered and they'd been in part of a family so they were used to having that companionship. So they didn't cope with a, a, an ordinary couple, couple, I suppose, who worked um normal shift hours. Mm. And so it was great to be able to match them up with a a retired person who was home most of the time. They got all of that enrichment that they were used to. And um, yeah, it just worked so well. And we've now got young people coming in saying they want senior dogs because they just are so cool and um, like I say, they've already got their personality so it's sort of really good to be able to say exactly what that dog needs um, but for the seniors in particular I mean we do from time to time, you know we'll have people who are mid-70s who come in wanting a puppy but it's not fair on them and it's not fair on the puppy. There's no way that puppy is going to get all the enrichment and the time and the energy it needs in its early its early stages so we're we're very very careful to try and match the Um, The ideal dog with the ideal owner and that's why the Seniors for Seniors has been so successful For these older people how have you seen these senior dogs change their lives? Well I mean there was one in particular um, an old Kelpie, a blue heeler called Hazel and she came in and she'd been used sadly for breeding her whole life so her poor little teats were down to the floor and when we did some scans, we realised that she had um, she actually had mammary tumours throughout. And there was this um, elderly couple that said, oh, we want to do fostering just for a month or two, um, but we don't want to commit to um, adoption. So we were like, yep, how about we introduce you to Hazel? And we honestly thought Hazel just had two or three months left. She lived for nearly two years. She had everything. She had a roast dinner every Sunday and it always had gravy on it. And and I looked at this couple too, not only were they giving to her, but you could see them, they got out more. They were always in the garden playing ball with her. Um, In fact, I think one of them almost got a sore arm at one stage. I think she had to (laughs) stop throwing the ball because her shoulder got really sore. But you could just see the the difference that they made and there's all these photos of them looking into each other's eyes and this dog that we thought had, you know, two to three months literally lived for two years and this couple that just wanted to help us out for two, two months just changed their lives. It was just an incredible, incredible bond and um, yeah, to see that is just so rewarding. We know that gratitude
0: makes you more optimistic. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about what you've seen in this in the field that you work in?
1: Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned Hazel earlier, Um, the couple that ended up taking Hazel, Um, they'd moved over here from the UK. So they had um, a daughter who had emigrated to Australia a number of years ago and they came over here to sort of be with her as they were getting into their later years. And I think really when they first came over, they were here really just to sort of be near to their daughter and sort of see out the rest of their days. Um, And when Hazel came along, it sort of gave them this whole new lease on life and a whole new reason for being. So it wasn't just Ruth, their daughter, that needed them. There was this amazing dog that just you know, needed them so much. And little did they realise they needed that dog so much too. It definitely got them out more. They got out socialising more. Um, when they went to their groups, Hazel's always the you know, topic of conversation because mm-hmm. it's always a really good conversation starter when you go in with a, a gorgeous little dog and you can talk about what you've done for the dog. So they obviously um, were very well respected in their community because they were seen as giving this dog um, this second chance. And um, yeah, it just, just that you could see, like I say, Hazel was absolutely grateful, no question, but we never expected to see the same back from, um, from her foster carers. And um, yeah, it was incredibly, incredibly rewarding. In being grateful, you you sort of have this sense of calm and zen, don't
0: you, when you have gratitude? And it makes me think about when you are calm, it lowers your blood pressure, it makes you happier, you're more optimistic, as we were saying before. Mm. And in in some senses, it can help you live longer. Yeah. Do you think that dogs then can help us live longer?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean... You know, when I think about how I was when I was working full time, if I was ever stressed, I've got this really big punching bag at home (laughs) and I would just go and hit it, no joke, for 15 minutes just to get rid of my anger. Um, Now when I'm stressed, I just go and cuddle a dog and then I just want to cuddle another dog and another dog. Um, And so it goes on. And, um, you know, I just think I just want to be around for as long as possible because I want to help more dogs in need. Um, That's my reason for being and that's what I'm going to continue to do. Um, and it's It's just sort of a, a relaxing, peaceful, there's nothing like sitting with a dog on your lap and just knowing that their whole reason for being is being there with you and for you to sort of really focus on the same with them and to know how many more are out there needing that and to try and spread the word about that is just, um, is just so, so critical.
0: There's people listening right now who might be a little hesitant in rescuing or adopting a dog Mm -hmm. because they might be a little bit older or they might be unsure of how that dog could fit into their current routine.
1: What advice would you give to these people? Well, all of our dogs have been temperament tested. So when they come in, we do a test with another dog and we'll do tests, you know, we give them food and toys and take it away. So we know whether they're suitable for children perhaps who might, you know, be going around snatching things out of their mouths or... We look at how what their energy levels are like, how much exercise they'll need. So when you come and get a dog, although we don't know all of its history, obviously because we've picked it up from a pound because someone's dumped it, we do know more about their their personality and about their you know energy levels and their um, the way they are with our volunteers and with our staff. So you're not really coming in blind. We're telling you about what the dog's like. We also encourage our volunteers and staff to take the dogs home um, for a day or two or sometimes they go out and foster for a few weeks so we can tell you what the dog's actually like in a home environment. Because, you know, sometimes different dogs try and get your attention by either, as I mentioned earlier, pushing themselves through the fence because they Mm. want to cuddle or barking their heads off. And that's obviously not a very attractive Thing. Um, and we had this one dog, Chevy, who was there and he just wasn't getting looked at because he would bark. Um, mm. He went out on foster. I don't think he ever opened his mouth. He just sat there looking into his owner's eyes, was absolutely gorgeous and got adopted the other day. Now he probably wouldn't have been adopted if we'd left him in kennel. So we do as much as possible, try and find out what they're like in the home environment. And so that when they do get adopted, we can explain as much as possible what to expect. And also to, you know, there is a bit of a honeymoon period. So when they first go home, normally the dogs sleep for the first two or three days Mm because they haven't slept very well in the refuge. And then, you know, their true personality comes through. So it's just, we try and work with them and say, you know, try and get through that first or second week just let the dog settle in and then we go from there and we always offer support and advice Um, but for anyone who says you know and it doesn't always work out and we always take our dogs back so for anyone it doesn't work out for we absolutely take the dogs back but for you know nine and a half out of ten that it does work for first time my god you know, they've all been given the second chance. So I just hope people do give it give it a chance, because it is honestly the most rewarding thing you can do. I absolutely guarantee it. And the dogs that are rescued know they've been given a second chance and they definitely love you more.
0: I'm Laura Vee and you're listening to Dognitive Therapy. If you enjoy this series, give it a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to this show for free. There was a lady who adopted a dog that she called Tenji from the dog's refuge home a little while ago, and she she said that Tenji roughly translates to a royal gift or a gift mm. from heaven. And she said she's not religious or anything, but she could have she could not have described him more accurately. And he brightened up her life and has been a constant companion through
1: five long years. It was beautiful to have read mm. that. Do you hear of these stories often? Oh, all the time, all the time. We we had one dog, um, its name was Umpa and um, she's actually got her own um, Facebook page now and Umpa came to us in an absolutely appalling condition so she virtually had no fur on her body at all. She was just, it was just all mange and um, in a really, really poor condition but she just had the sweetest nature and she just wanted to cuddle. She wasn't sort of very cuddly because she was just so mangey and not very well and we managed to get her out on foster and you could just see when this lady came into foster her. You could see at first she was a bit sort of confronted by how she looked and then she took her home and then literally day by day um, you could just see Claire, who adopted an Umpa, just sort of forming this bond. So she'd take her out. And because she did look quite weird, there was all these um, people coming up and, and asking about her. And bit by bit, this dog is now the furriest dog in Perth. I guarantee it. She looks like a lion. So all her fur came back. And Claire wrote the story about how she was really working hard at the time and was actually going through a bit of depression because she was just working so many hours and she just thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. And Umpa gave her a reason for leaving living and, um, Changed, you know, wasn't doing as many hours, was spending more time with Umpa. Also, her friendship circle had diminished because she was working so many hours. And all of a sudden, her friendship circle opened up because she was out there with Umpa and everyone wanted to meet Umpa because she just became this little superstar. So everyone was coming up and she was talking more and having. And she's done a whole story about it's actually in one. We did a, a book to celebrate our 80th anniversary a few years ago. And her story is in there. And it was literally her saying that Umpa changed my life, completely changed my life. And all she did was come in to sort of help foster this dog for a a month or two while her fur grew back. And the relationship that developed between them and the change that she made in her life um, literally was life changing. And we hear that all the time from so many different people.
0: There was a dog called Sarah in your care who was homeless for around 600 days, I think. Yes. How
1: can that be possible? I know, she's actually still with us, but the good thing for Sarah is she goes on foster. So she's got a couple of different foster carers that come in and take her. Um, So she was back in the refuge only last week, but she did get picked up and there's actually someone interested in her, which is so exciting. Um, So Sarah does suffer a little bit from separation anxiety. So she needs someone who's home more often than not. Um, And she was quite dog reactive when she came in. She's actually quite good now. So we've got her a number of dog friends, but it's just when she first meets a dog, It's really important when people get puppies to socialise them at a young age. You know, everyone talks about training and they think about, oh, let's get the dog to sit and shake a paw and high five. It's the socialisation that is absolutely critical. So the dogs that we get in, you can just see they have just, they've been got as a puppy, they've been the centre of attention for a few months and then left in the backyard and that's it. And so when they see another dog, it's not that they're aggressive, they're just inappropriate. They have no idea how to interact with those dogs. So appropriate interaction, Sarah is great. If you leave her to her own devices, she'll just go running up to, to another dog and want to play and be in its face and it could go pear-shaped. So because of those reasons, she has been with us a while. Um, and because we know she doesn't cope in the kennel, um, we do get her out on foster as often as possible. So I think potentially she might miss a couple of opportunities because obviously we're open seven days a week and we have people coming down but when people come down they hope to see the dog when they come down not to say oh give us a few days and we'll organize for Sarah to come in Um, but she's had she hasn't had a terrible life since she's been with us because when she comes in she's almost like a bit of a personality and then like I say she goes back out on foster so but there is someone interested and fingers crossed we'll get her adopted very soon.
0: I'm a bit of an unconventional dog behaviourist. I Uh really don't care if dogs sit or drop or shake paws. I'm more about building that positive relationship between the human and the dog. Yes. What
1: does that look like to you, that kind of relationship? Um, Well, I mean, it is different to everybody. So, you know, I'm not going to win any friends saying this, but I love it when a dog comes up and jumps up on me and puts the... (laughs) I like really big dogs, by the way. Two paws on my shoulders and a big kiss and a big hook. That's what I like. Now, a lot of people will say that's inappropriate, that, you know, dogs shouldn't jump up. They should always be polite. And that is true because you don't want a dog like that jumping up and going to a kid because that might scare them. But to me, it's that you can just see in their nature. um, It's that friendly, definitely well socialised. It's never a dog's fault that they haven't been well socialised. But the fact that some of our dogs are scared of, you know, cars, they're scared of bikes, they're scared of other dogs. They just haven't been socialised. So to me, a a confident happy dog they don't have to go to the park and play with other dogs but just not to be scared of their own shadow and not to be scared you know there's that fight or flight Um, we've got dogs at the refuge at the moment that if they're scared you know they're just going to run and others that will probably fight Um, and it's just trying to sort of desensitise them to what they've been, been previously programmed get them back on track and just get them to realise that life's actually pretty good. They might not have been dealt a good set of cards and they might have had a horrible owner before, but life's pretty good and once we can get them to trust humans again and hopefully trust other dogs then that's a happy dog to me.
0: We know that if a human has been mistreated in their life, particularly their childhood, they can grow to have a whole range of different mm. problems and carry baggage with them. Yeah. It sounds very similar to dogs if they've had a sad life. They carry baggage with them and they can have a whole range of quirks that yeah. perhaps we don't like so much sometimes. Do you think we should ease up on them
1: or do you think we're being a little bit too hard on them? Absolutely. I have to say though, dogs are so forgiving compared to humans because if I had been treated how some of our dogs would be treated, I would just want to go and bite every single human in society. And I look at how loving they are considering what they've been through. I can't believe how forgiving they are. I just never ceases to amaze me. That's one of the things I look at some of the states of our dogs and think, how are you even so nice and cuddly with a human after obviously it was a human that did it to you but yes just having that um giving them a, a bit of allowance for we don't know what's happened to them in the past um unfortunately lots of our dogs that have been mistreated are generally mistreated by men and we quite often see you know if someone comes to the refuge in high vis or they've got hats on you can see some of our dogs cower so you know there's a traditional um i suppose the traditional types that have been um, abusive towards dogs um And it's just... Understanding that they will forgive eventually. It's just their first reaction is, oh my God, previously something happened when I was approached by a person who looked like that. So just trying to gain their trust back. And we've got a number, we've probably got 90% female volunteers, but we've got 10% of amazing guys. And what we'll do is generally the dogs are are friendly with the the females and those that aren't with the men, we get them to spend more time. And eventually they're absolutely fine with them. Um, But it's just allowing for whatever's happened to them in the past and just giving them that bit of space to to trust again. This
0: series is all around how human behaviour shapes dog behaviour. Mm -hmm. How have you seen how dogs respond to people who are grateful?
1: Um, Well, there's a number of ways. I mean, the physical way. So I mentioned Oompa, the dog that came in with no fur and was just in terrible condition. You could just see the health of that dog improve day after day with the love that it was given, it was so grateful. It just turned from being a very, very unhealthy dog into probably one of the most healthy dogs I've ever seen. And to see a dog that sort of cowers or that is um, really timid, come out and be loving and love fun and love life and greet everyone with a wagging tail, um, just to see where that dog's come from. You can, you can see it physically and you can see it in their personalities. And, and that's really what's what's most rewarding um, you know we did have a dog she's actually still with us she's not up for adoption just yet her name was Umpa and she um, Uma sorry and she came in and she was really really timid and um, it took her a while to get used to the people that she knows but bit by bit we're introducing her to more people and now she's probably the most social dog there like she literally greets you she's just all over you like a rash. And to think that when I first met her, she was sat in a corner cowering with a tail between her legs. Um, and now I literally opened the, the gate to the kennel and she's basically on top of me. And that is just to know that she feels that safe and that confident and she's that grateful for the love that we've given her is, um, yeah, is amazing. For people who are listening to this, mm. how can people show gratitude to their dog? Um, well, I mean, every dog is different. So I think it's about understanding your dog and understanding your dog's needs. So, you know, some dogs, that what they want is a really, really long walk and lots of um, exercise. And some dogs just want to sit on a couch with you and cuddle up and watch TV. And some dogs want, like lots of toys or they like, you know, going to the beach or I think it's really trying to understand your dog and what your dog needs. I know with Homer, like I was so proud of him. He was so Bloody handsome! I loved that dog, and I couldn't wait to get him out and show him off. But he was scared of going outside, and so I realised that all he wanted was to be in the house with me, in his safe environment, and with my other dog as well. Um, and so I gave him everything that he wanted. He basically got. But I think it's understanding your dog. So you know, if you've been out for a long day, um, you'll know depending on the breed of your dog and the personality of your dog, they really just need a really long walk because they want to get rid of some energy or they want to play with you. They want to go for a car drive or they just want to sit and cuddle. So I think it's about trying to understand your own dog as best you can and giving to them exactly what they need.
0: What is the biggest lesson you've learnt from the dogs in your life?
1: Um, each one of them is different, I have to say, and each one of them has brought out a different part of me. So um, before I went to the dog's home, I um, I had two dogs and one of them was very, very protective. Um, and and I felt really secure and safe when he was around because he was just, you know, the SAS could have broken in and I was safe with that dog. Um, that was Sonny Jim and he was the initial man of my dreams. And then when I met Homer, he he needed me a lot. And he basically became, I became the protector. And um, my relationship with him was very different because I felt like I needed to protect him. And then I got Bronson when my Staffy Britannia died. She was my best friend. And, you know, Bronson came along and he was basically the class clown. And he was almost like a husband. He just (laughs) kept me entertained and got me out of the house. And he was just fantastic. Um, and now I've got Harley. So I've always got two dogs in my life. And I look at the different um, things that they've given me and they've brought out different parts of me that I never really knew. It wasn't really, I didn't think what I needed in my life. I didn't think I was missing anything at all. I didn't get another dog because I felt I was missing anything. And it wasn't until I got the dog and I realised the—you know, what I was missing. And each dog has brought out something different in me. Each dog has, has given me a new reason for being What
0: interaction with a dog has been your greatest moment of gratitude?
1: Um, I think it has to be saving Homer. Um, He was just... And I didn't actually realise at the time how big a deal it was because, you know, when I first went in... um, I went in and I'd come straight from work, so I had a business suit on and I had high heels and I could see the volunteers looking at me like, why do you want that pit bull? What are you going to give it to your boyfriend who's going to fight him or something? (laughs) So I sort of felt this, I did feel quite confronted when I went in. And then when I adopted him to see everyone basically crying their eyes out because they knew that he'd finally found this fantastic home and they still kept saying, can you bring him in? Because I think they wanted to make sure I wasn't going to go and do God knows what with him. And when I was sending them photos of you know, him on his own couch and in the bed and... Um, just that feeling of what a difference I made to not just him, but to the staff and the volunteers who had cared for him for two years. So he'd almost been their dog for two years. Mm. And for me to have given him that home it was just you know it was win-win-win so it was win for him it was win for me it was win for the volunteers and the staff and it was just you know, an incredible feeling and like I say at the time I didn't really appreciate it but now when we have long-termers that are adopted um, and I'm the one that's crying saying goodbye to the dog I uh, look at the people and think at some stage you're going to realise just what a big deal um, this is and just what a difference you've made. Do you miss Homer? Oh, God, don't get me started. It's the one thing, yeah. Miss him every day. Yeah. Karen Rhodes, thank you so much for your time. Not at all. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. And I hope everyone who's listening, honestly, considers giving a dog a second chance. I guarantee you will never, ever regret it. At the hospital, I saw people that had given up, you know, that had strokes and things like that. And they just went downhill. You know, they just had no plans. They had nothing to go to.
0: But that's what I wanted, was to walk her again. This show was written by me, Laura V, and my amazing producer, Dave Swalinski. Audio production is by Darcy Thompson. Executive producers are Jennifer Goggin and Grant Tothill. If you want to see additional content, photos and videos of some of the gorgeous dogs in this series, go to our Instagram page at podcast1au or check us out on Facebook. Native Therapy is a Podcast One production, recorded in the Podcast One Studios, Melbourne.